as we gather together in this place to worship you. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things. And the blessing of your word upon the words you've given to me and the people of God said together. Amen. So in order to make this work, I knew that it's seven weeks is going to be really hard because I only had seven weeks and there's you know, nine different types. So I knew that one week would not be very easy and this is the week. I put it off to the last. There's an insert in your bulletin to kind of help you along. There are the notes not only from this week, but from last week. I did all those notes as well. And uh, so those will all be on the website to be able to go back and look at all the different types throughout the whole course of things. Um, But the insert will also give you um, the basic pieces because I won't be saying all those words that I usually would say in the sermon in order to be able to do that. You'll also see during the course of it that I'll be relating to scriptures that I'm not reading, but they're up on the screen. That also cuts down time to be able to pull this together and to bring these two numbers together. For those of you who are new and don't know or haven't been here, of course, you guys are new. Um, we are doing the Enneagram, the nine types that are spiritual types. They are not just used by Christians, but they have gained a lot of uh, clarity and clout in the Christian community over the last several years. And we are just now finishing up with the last two, which are four and seven. And there's likely that many of you up there are, either, are fours, more than likely, because you are creative, and that is a part of being a four. You will hear, like everybody else, we've heard every week, you'll hear the good stuff and the ugly stuff. And sometimes it's really ugly, and, uh, because we have an uglier side to us. And once we learn to tame that and control that and be able to move out of it into an area of growth then and less of our stressors, then we have the ability to be able to grow closer to Christ and to each other. So let's get into it. Do you have a friend who's just a little bit different? They're the ones with the unique hairstyle, kind of out there clothing choices, who listen to bands you've never heard of. They don't like to be labeled or categorized. In fact, if they think, I'm not any of the Enneagram numbers, I'm my own number, they are probably a four. People come to me and say, you know what, I think I'm all of them or I'm not any of those numbers. That pretty much tells me I I can begin to figure out where you might land. Fours are often called the individualist or the romantic. They are, in fact, different. According to some experts... There are probably fewer fours than any other number. Fours fear being normal or just like everyone else. But they also deeply desire to belong and feel accepted just like all of us. But that's the tension of fours. They want to be accepted as part of the group while maintaining their own individual identity and cultivating their unique footprint in the world. But they're concerned with proving they are unique forces, forces them inward. It can strain their relationships. It's been said, fours don't have feelings. Fours are feelings. In this way, they could be more different than their three neighbors who are feeling repressed. Threes call out. Threes? Got any threes? Three. All right, buddy. Thanks, Al. Threes have difficulty accessing and expressing their emotions. Fours have trouble not accessing and expressing their emotions. Fours see the world in a way that is profoundly concerned with beauty. 
truth and art. A lot of fours are poets and artists and mystics and songwriters. With their wings, say wings. A four with a three wing can be the aristocrat. Remember, these are the numbers that are adjacent to your main number. They're more extroverted, competitive, upbeat, ambitious, concerned with image, flamboyant. And a four with a five wing is the bohemian. They're more introverted, intellectual, withdrawn, reserved, observant, eccentric, have intellectual depth, and depressed. One famous four in the Bible was a king. Who do you think it was? What king in the Bible do you think was a four? Solomon. Very good. You read. That means you read what I sent last night. Very good. That's awesome. And he was a king, right? But there's another king who was probably a four. And it's not King David because King David was probably a seven. We're going to get to him later on. This is a day of kings. This king I'm talking about is King Saul. Say Saul. Saul. King Saul. Going back to your Old Testament Hebrew Bible, you can read his story in the book of 1 Samuel. You see, Saul's life was full of twists and turns. I love the picture on the left because it really seems to symbolize who Saul was. Troubled. He had highs and lows. Ultimately ended in tragedy. But early in his life, he was singled out as being different. He was head and shoulders above everyone else, literally. He was a tall, stately man. But like many fours, he was full of shame and self-doubt. And when the prophet Samuel first met Saul, he didn't think he could even be a king. Self-doubt and self-degradation are snares of a four. Saul had no confidence in his own abilities. He had trouble seeing in himself the things that other people saw. In fact, the very next chapter records the story when Saul actually gets publicly chosen to be king. And what does he do? He hides. He hides. Saul was gifted in, in ways he didn't even see in himself. He was unsure and lacked confidence in his abilities. Not the only number to think this. But for fours, remember we all have a core fear. We don't like to address it. My core fear as a five is not knowing. But the core fear of a four is being inadequate. Emotionally cut off. Plain, ordinary, commonplace mundane, abandoned, defective, or flawed. And then Samuel says the most four thing ever when he's talking about Saul. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Fours love that. And things went okay for Saul in the beginning. But it wasn't long before his kingship took a turn for the worst. There was a time when he achieved a victory over his enemies, the Philistines. And Samuel the prophet told Saul to wait until he arrived in order to offer sacrifices to God. But Saul didn't like that idea. He waited for a while, but he grew impatient. If some numbers on the Enneagram are prone to ask why, fours are prone to ask 
Why not? Why not me? Why couldn't Saul just go ahead with the sacrifices? Why do we have to wait for Samuel? What's so special about Samuel? Why not me? And this all leads to the vice of fours. We all have our own vices. But the vice of a four is envy. Say envy. It's envy. And so this vice of a four, they see the life everyone else has. Their perfect and pretty Instagram lives don't seem to have any problems, and they want that. Everyone else seems so normal and so happy. Why can't I be? If fours aren't careful they, and self-aware, they can let their envy drive them to really dark places, which is where fours like to hang out anyway. Remember, one of my wings is a four. Though it may not be my dominant wing, it certainly has a place in my life. I can become melancholy. I can become that person. I can sink in that direction. And the envy of a four can start out so small, but it can escalate rapidly and grow out of control. Envy cost Saul his kingdom. And envy would ultimately cost Saul his life. Things went from bad to worse as Saul continued to spiral down into the darkness. Fours are comfortable with melancholy and sadness, but fours don't make it a place where you live. None of us should make it a place where we live. Unfortunately, it's exactly where Saul found himself. And after a string of bad choices and misjudgments that were rash, we see a tipping point for Saul. And in 1 Samuel 16, 14, one of the most horrible things that probably could be said about someone is said, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. What that evil spirit is, we we don't know, and we wouldn't see his evil spirit in the same way today. It could have been... Depression, it could have been PTSD, it could have been anything. It could have been a bunch of things that were going on in his life that we would call nowadays medical things that happen to us and to our brains. And the king's officials brought in musicians to help calm his mood, cheer him up. He may have an epilepsy too, we're not sure. It didn't work. Saul just continued to lash out at the innocent people all around him. And David was one of those musicians. Saul tried multiple times to kill him. Saul even threatened his own son, Jonathan, for befriending and helping David. You see, in times of stress, and we all have a place we go in times of stress, fours will tend to go to struggle with jealousy and envy of others. David was the new rising star among the people of Israel. People even made up songs comparing David and Saul. Unhealthy fours are constantly comparing their lives to others. And the others, way, uh, the others always have it better than they do. Fours, for better or worse, are outside-the-box thinkers. They come up with solutions to problems that others would never consider, which is great. But in Saul's life, however, it didn't really do him much good. 
The ghost of Samuel tells Saul that because of his sinful choices and actions, both he and his son would die in an upcoming battle. Sure enough, the next day, Jonathan dies in battle. And Saul witnessed it all and fell on his own sword, taking his life. Fours have a tendency to wallow, especially if they're unhealthy. Fours can go to that really dark place, that long night of the soul, and have a hard time getting back out. I think that's why fours like to surround themselves with art and beauty. Beauty gives us a reason to hope. And hope drives out despair out of our lives. Amen? Saul had cut himself off from all beauty and all hope. Being driven by nothing other than his envy towards David that he could never get over. And that envy fueled his own insecurities, shame, and self-doubt ultimately leading to his demise. And fours aren't the only numbers that deal with those things. Fours, your life doesn't have to be a Shakespearean tragedy. You don't have to live in the drama and the melancholy. That's not what you were created for and designed for. Those places are fine to visit, but you don't want to live there. And so when fours are moving in the direction of growth, fours start showing the healthier characteristics of a one. Say one. They find out all those things it talks about up there. And they find out what is bringing on those feelings of sadness or depression. And they deal with them. That's what a one does. They don't blame it on other people or circumstances beyond their control. Saul blamed all his problems on David instead of taking ownership of his own idiotic choices that got him into the messes he found himself in. Fours, you need to remember you are God's masterpieces exactly as you are. We all need to hear that. That we are God's masterpieces exactly as we are. You don't need to prove yourself that you're a unique individual. You are. We all are. We're all unique individuals handcrafted by our Creator. Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And God's invitation to you is, I invite you to be free from the drive to be unique and the false belief that you will not be loved and noticed if you don't stand out. You're already extraordinary and special because I created you in love and for love. Which leads to another, another king and another type. The type of seven. Say seven. Now everyone needs to have a seven in their life. Have we got any sevens already? Raise your hands if you're a seven. You got any sevens? You think you're a seven? You're working on it? Oh, yes. Yes. Is that any sevens up here? You got any sevens in the group? Anybody knows? Oh, I see somebody shaking their head. Sevens are commonly known as the enthusiasts. They can be the most joyful, energetic, optimistic people you know. 
I think one of the best portrayals of a seven in recent pop culture is the character Joy from Inside Out. To get everything you know about a seven, and it applies to her exactly. Enthusiasts seek to explore new and compelling experiences, fulfill their passions. Sevens live for the next adventure. The key word is next. Sevens have a difficulty living in the present. They are very future-oriented by nature. They live off that dopamine rush of expectation, anticipation, to avoid the feelings of deprivation. Sevens love planning events, but have trouble enjoying the events themselves. The, the problem with living the way, that way is sevens develop a more-is-better mentality. They can lead to serious commitment issues and even addiction. They do not want to miss out on any new experiences. And that leads us to their core fear. Their fear of being incomplete, inferior, limited, bored, trapped in emotional pain, disappointment, criticism, sadness, or just missing out. Another way they avoid dealing with their pain is through reframing. They are experts at finding the silver lining in any situation. They can spin a failure to find a positive outcome. They're often known for cracking jokes to lighten the mood when a conversation gets too serious. And on the surface, sevens can appear to be spontaneous, carefree. But below the surface... Healthy sevens can be some of the most grounded individuals who know what it means to experience true joy even in the midst of sorrow. With their wings, say wings, a seven with a six wing is the entertainer. They're more loyal, endearing, responsible, outgoing, relationship-oriented, playful, childlike, anxious. A seven with an eight wing is the realist. They are more free, passionate, adventurous, strong, seek intensity. They are leaders, quick-minded. They are creative. And maybe it might come to you as a surprise that King David might be a seven. You might automatically think of David as a four because of the Psalms, of the ones that he wrote. We don't know he wrote them all. Sevens tend to be disconnected from their emotions especially the negative ones like sadness and anger. The Psalms of David are packed with emotions. Many of them are even lament psalms, heavily sorrowful, downcast. The Psalms can be major for territory. But if you compare the Psalms of David with the life of David, I think it becomes clearer that he was a seven, with an eight wing, I believe, who was highly in tune with his own emotions. And when moving in the direction of growth, a seven will start to show the healthier characteristics of a five. Say five. You see, when I, as a five, when I'm not healthy, I go to a seven. When I'm healthy, I go to an eight. But they come to a five when they are healthy. And they're dealing with their uncomfortable emotions and they relax. They have a quieter mind to focus, draw out depth. 
So let's start at the beginning of what makes up a seven. The wounding message of a seven latched on to during childhood is you are on your own. No one else is here to take care of you. A lot of sevens had to fend for themselves somewhat during their childhood, maybe somewhere along the way. And they learned early on to ensure their survival. Think about David. I mean, he was the youngest in his family with seven older brothers. Anybody have seven older brothers in here? Seven, seven older sisters. Okay. Bless you. David was out tending sheep by himself, 1 Samuel 16, if you're wanting to find some place to land. With no one else to come to his rescue, he had to come up with his own ways of fending off the predators who would endanger the flock. So he became incredibly skilled with a sling. He had to find ways to keep his mind occupied during the endless hours that were in the field. So he became an expert musician and songwriter. Many sevens I know are very talented and skilled in a lot of different areas. And doesn't it just make you jealous that can do so many things so well? Think about the famous, most famous story of his life, David and Goliath. Here comes David, a young teenager, into the battle lines. Everyone else is terrified of Goliath. But David steps up and says, I'll fight him. He doesn't have any armor. He doesn't have a battle plan. All he has is a sling, some stones, and a boatload of confidence in God and his own abilities. What stands out to me, though, is David's reasoning for taking on the giant in that scripture. He's already killed a lion, a bear, and now a giant warrior. Remember, for a seven, more is better. Sevens are always trying to one-up themselves and go higher and higher. Another instance in his life really stands out as a seven moment. David led the processional of priests bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the newly established capital city of Jerusalem. Maybe you might remember how he entered the city. He was dancing nearly naked in the streets. I can't show you any pictures of it. In front of God and everyone. This is your king who's dancing naked in the streets. His wife even confronted him about it later. Now, when under stress, a seven will start to show the unhealthy characteristics of a one. Say one. See? It's reversed for the four. They become perfectionistic and critical. And they blame others for preventing them from having fun. Like his response to his wife. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. He will one-up himself and be even more ridiculous the next time he does something. It's always more. Because the vice of sevens is gluttony. More. Gluttony isn't just food. Gluttony is anything. More. If, little, if a little is good, then more is better. Sevens can struggle with anything from overeating to gambling to alcohol and drug abuse to obsessive collecting to pornography to insert the blank. Too much game playing. 
Their primary need is to avoid pain. Sevens are more prone than any others to addiction. They need to avoid that pain, so they fall back into numbing behaviors. And when they can't physically escape the painful or traumatic situation, that's where they go. There would come a time, though, when David's gluttony nearly ruined him. When his armies went out to war, David stayed at home in the palace, avoiding pain and conflict. And he looked out from his palace and saw a woman bathing on her roof. Once again, I can't show you anything because it's too much. And he asked about her and sent for her and he used her. And remember what I said earlier about attention towards addiction and abuse? He already had several different wives at that point, but they weren't enough. He wanted more. And he wanted her. And when she became pregnant, he arranged for her husband to be killed in battle rather than owning up to what he had done. And he nearly lost it all, but God was merciful. And that story has so much in it, more than just that. Whenever I read through the story of David's life, his adventures, his battles, his close calls, his antics, I'm absolutely intrigued. David lived a life to the full and never held back, whether you agree with his life or not. He was fearless and powerful. He was also kind and gentle. But he also made his fair share of bad, bad, bad mistakes and blunders. But through it all, David remained a man after God's own heart. Seven, here's what you need to know. You must learn that more isn't always better. We all need to learn that. That more isn't always better. You know you go to Costco and Sam's because you can buy a year's worth in one shot. doesn't mean you should. Susan couldn't stand when I used to go and buy that kind of stuff. It's like, we don't need 14 cases of this to last us out or a cheese block that's the size of a log to be able to eat. More isn't always better just because it's cheaper. That's the first thing. Sometimes more is just more. Sevens, you just need to learn to be content. To find that place to be content in life. You also need to cultivate disciplines of solitude and fasting, not just food, but learning to say no to pleasures. Learning to be able to say no to social engagements. You don't have to attend every single function because you'll miss something. It's okay to miss something, that you're not in the know, that you're not part of something. That's okay. They can gather without you, and it'll be all right. And practice living in the moment and being fully present here, not thinking about the the future and what's going to happen or the next thing and the next thing. Instead of jumping to the next big thing in your mind, live fully present here. And sevens need to remember this. God truly is your refuge. We all need to hear that. That God will take care of you and will work all things for our good. Amen? We have to hear that message to ourselves. God truly is your refuge. God will take care of you and will work all things for your good. 
In the Bible verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That is the word for all of us. God knows the plans. They are not bad plans. And the invitation from God is this. I invite you to be free from the fear of being limited and cut off from what you think will give you life to the full. Embrace my love for you and trust that you will not miss out on the abundance I offer. I am with you in all situations. Sevens, you inspire us, encourage us, and bring much joy into our lives. Without you around, life would be much more boring and routine. But it's okay, take a breather sometimes, sevens. Fours, find things that bring you true joy in life. Don't worry so much about fitting in or being unique or whatever it might be on any given day. Focus on finding true joy and beauty in your ordinary, everyday, mundane, routine life. Believe me, you make our lives so much more interesting just by being you. And that's the final word for all of us. You make life interesting just by being you. When it comes down to being a reformer, or it comes down, that's not the first one, it can't be. The five has to be the first one. Thanks. When it comes down to being a five and an investigator, who are my fives? Fives, yell out fives. They won't yell out. Fives, raise your hands. Just go, it's very good. Thank you. That was good. Fives go unite in your own homes. All right. Challengers. Challengers shout out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You go for it, challengers. Dan, I didn't hear a challenger up there in the section up there. Who else? Keep going. Reformers. Ones. Who are the reformers in the room? Yeah, 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 yeah. Reformers. Keep going. Keep going. Helpers. Who's the helpers in the room? Ah, the helpers. One of the most... Most of the signs are helpers. Achievers. Who are the achievers in the room? Threes. Yes. Way to go again. Al, Al wins the game. Loyalists in the room. Sixes. Who are six? Both sides. Both sides. Jared's. Katie's. And peacemakers. Who are the peacemakers in the room? Oh, peacemakers. And the guy upstairs in the sound booth who preached last week. All of these different numbers are all important. No one is more important than another. They're all the story of you and me. And the more we know about ourselves and the more we know about those we care about close in our life and our church community and our families, our friends, the more we can value them for who they are and how God created them and let them use their gifts and also help them in their struggles because we know where their struggles are. It may not be our struggles, But we all have vices. We all have core fears. We can overcome those when we come closer to God. So I hope that you've enjoyed the last eight weeks in doing this. For some of you, I'm sure it's like, oh my gosh. And I'm thankful for the fact is you gave me permission to make your life a little more miserable for eight weeks. But for most of us, I hope that you got something out of it and enjoyed it in some way. And I feel good because I was able to share something. I might become a coach actually in doing this. Um, I've been looking at that stuff online because I really think it's important. And I'm a five, so of course it would make total sense. But uh, I hope that some way you'll, you'll be able to have better relationships with God and with each other.
Amen. See, the one thing Rick's not used to is I do this all the time. So I know exactly when I fold this out where those candles are. And I'm always looking to see where every single corner is before I ever do anything else. Rick's just not a pro like that in that. This body was broken for all of us. All of us. No matter what type you might be. And at this table he's sitting with all these disciples. We mentioned this before. We mentioned the fact is, is that there were all those types at the table with him. He did not call people around him who all believed the same thing and thought the same thing. They were at war with each other a lot of the time. And he must have sat back and gone, oh my gosh, why did I pick these people who can't seem to get along? That's why he picked them. Because he wanted to be able to show the fact was, no matter who we were, if we followed his ways, we would be able to get along. What are his last prayers to us again and again? His last words, they are, love one another. Be in unity with one another. And so this bread, when it's broken, reminds us that we all have a place at the table as we gather. It is the body of Christ broken and given in love for us. And at that supper, you know, the conversations must have been very interesting listening around the table for the regular Passover meal. Before they got into that table, there had been lots of discussions about who was the greatest disciples. There were discussions about the fact is you're not doing this the right way. When we finally going to get to this, probably you could name, you know, as you think about people we named at the table, people like Peter, the loyalist, and others. And it would be interesting to see all the disciples and what numbers they might be. But he stopped them all short when he started to talk about the fact was it wasn't going to be like any other Passover meal they'd ever had. It was going to be the last one they would have it together. And he laid out what that meant. They would be offered up for their lives and for everybody else's life, that he would be crucified. They also told him along the way that he would also be resurrected. At that point, though, they couldn't see anything else. They could just see his death and the loss of their friend, and who could blame them? But this blood would be poured out for you and for me, for the forgiveness of sins, for all of us, and to give us a new life. And so when we think about that, and as we come this morning, it is an amazing thing that that God would come down in human form and be present with us and be willing to self-empty, to empty himself in this powerful way for the lowliest of creation. We think we're all that in a bag of chips most of the time, but we're not. We are individual. We are unique. We are created by our God knit in our mother's wombs. But we're no more unique than someone else who came 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. We're no more special. We're no less special. We're all special. 
But he came to remind us that we are most special to him. All of us. So as you come forward this morning and you're thinking about what your number might be or what it is or continuing, there's one more test I shared with you last night. If you didn't get that, you can try something different to figure it out. But I hope most of all that you know is that you were created in a special way by God. It is uniquely your own and important, but not more important than anybody else. We need to remember that we're all in community together no matter what happens. No matter what happens in our denomination, what happens in our conference, what happens in other churches around us. This is our community. And everybody has to decide what they want to do when the time comes, if that time comes, individually. The church won't make any decision. The general conference won't make any decision. They may say things, they may say stuff, but no one can make you do anything you don't want to do. There's no ability to do that, and no one's going to come in and tell you to do something that you don't want to do. You'll have to figure out if you think the community here is more important than our differences, than our struggles. Whether beliefs can be different across the board and still be in the same place and still love one another as God has loved us. Paul made it clear that his number one thing was in a church that was struggling, stay together, live with God, love each other. We're all different, but we're all created by the same God. And you remember that in the days to come. Let those who are serving come forward as we bless these elements. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice be reminders for us of the remembrances of all that you did for us. Pour your spirit of presence into them as we receive them. Let them be the body and blood of Christ that we may be redeemed by his blood and go in service to the world. In Jesus Christ's name we ask this, the people of God said together, Amen. Come forward to receive this morning, to know his presence, God the creator, Jesus the redeemer, and the Holy Spirit the sustainer. The body of Christ broken again.
The Bible is the story of God. Stand up. It's the story of people of God. And hopefully you've learned some from those characters we've talked about. And the Bible is the story of you. And the greatest search and rescue mission ever put on to find you and me. May you have learned something about yourself and about the people of God and about the God whom we love and gave his life for us. And may you go out and share with the world what you've learned. Amen.